You've Got a Friend in Us. This is episode 13, Dragnet, from 1987. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, I'm going to ask you just the facts, sir. We were supposed to have a guest on this episode, Mike Flynn, who lives in California, the city of Dragnet, or Los Angeles, the city of Dragnet. Hello, the state of Dragnet, the city of Dragnet. Some scheduling conflicts arose. He could not join us. We've got something that he has asked us to read later. Um, I don't want to sort of influence our impressions of this movie. My first impression of this movie, though, Mike, is that I'm going to need to watch this again, because I feel like by the end I was enjoying it, but it took me so long to kind of figure out what it was doing. And I had never seen the series, like any of the series, right? I think it was, there were a couple different series. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that. All I basically knew about Dragnet is that I stay up all night, I go to sleep watching Dragnet. That's <laughs> exactly. the entire history. Once I saw the movie, I knew the theme, I knew just the facts, man, I knew the name Joe Friday. Like, I know yeah. things about it, but I couldn't have told you it was from this sort of property. My knowledge of the thing was completely nothing. So for me to sort of, like, be thrown into the water, and this works as a standalone movie, but I wasn't sure what it was doing, especially since I was like, is this supposed to be a comedy? And then it is, but it's like... <laughs> It's a weird thing. So I think with that said, I'm going to need to sort of watch this again to really have a, a true grasp on what my thoughts are. But you've seen this before, right? You, you rewatched it today or this week. Yeah, yeah. So funny enough, the first time I ever saw this movie was on an airplane in 1987 Ooh. on the way to Orlando, Florida, Ooh. Um, visiting Disneyland with the fa- well, Disney World with the family. So you were eight? Yeah, so I was eight that when feels I first saw way too young to watch this movie. Well, it was on a plane, so it was the edited version, so there's no strip club. Back when there was like one screen or like a couple screens of the whole the whole plane, right? Yeah, yeah. So like half the plane was watching this and half the plane was watching Spaceballs. And then on the way home, they sort of flipped it and we watched Spaceballs and, they, and the rest of the plane watched Dragnet. Okay. Yeah, so that was the first time I saw this. And then when we got back, I actually, I have this on VHS. So at some point, the family bought it. I mean, we liked Hanks and Aykroyd a lot from other movies. So I have like my old copy from the 80s on VHS. It's been in the family for years and I actually watched some Dragnet as a teenager staying up late the Nick at Night was huge when I was a teenager you go to sleep watching Dragnet I did go to yeah that's funny how I did but it was like Dragnet 69 and it was cool because they were true stories you know what I mean like as and it would be like damn I can't believe this actually happened oh so like they were like ripped from the headlines before like SVU ripped from the headlines yeah, so, like, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Like, that's a line from the opening of every episode. And they, there's sort of a joke about this in here where they say a name and then what it's been changed to. And I think at that point, like, you're supposed to realize, oh, this isn't going to be, like, a um, Michael Mann Heat version of Dragnet, which would be cool. Uh, maybe nowadays, you know, this isn't a straight play on it. This is more like what they did now. It's popular, like, where they... It's not necessarily a spoof, but it's just a whole different take. It's like a comedy. It's almost like a satire of Dragnet in a way, but it also works incredibly well on its own, I think. I'm going to take this time right now, and I'm going to read the thing that, or I'm going to sort of synopsize what Mike wrote, because I think what Mike wrote, Mike Flynn, what he wrote about this sort of gave me kind of the proper context on how to watch this, because I think calling it a satire is accurate, but it's also not quite. Like, it's this weird sort of hybrid thing that I've never seen before. So Mm -hmm. Mike wrote that he picked this because it's a favorite Tom Hanks comedy, which I think is a bold claim. I think I'm of the mind, personally, that I'm sort of, it's, it's 
it's up there. It's it's this and Money Pet. I think are my top two so far. Yeah. I don't know what that order is actually gonna be. This might be number one, but I also again, I, I think I need to see it again before I can sort of accurately rank it. Yeah, I like Hanks as a cop in this. I'll tell you that much. I think he's working well. For sure, absolutely. Um, he says he remembers walking around Santa Monica 20 years after he saw this for the first time, walking with his sister, and they were talking about the movie, and that they both remembered all the words to City of Crime, which is the kind of the closing rap, the sort of, you know, the Amos and Andrew style. You know, the, the suburban nightmare. nightmare. Mm-hmm. Of Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, of course. And they were both talking about how they liked this movie more than Ghostbusters, you know, the other Dan Aykroyd, oh, okay. big joint from the 80s. And Mike was saying that, you know, back when he saw it for the first time as a little kid, he liked it because of what he says are the implied boobs. Like, there's, I don't, I don't know that there's nudity in here, but there's a lot of very attractive women in various states of undress. Yes. And so yeah. I think for, you know, a pubescent or prepubescent boy or whatever, this checks a lot of boxes. Like, it's funny, it's got action, it's got pretty ladies, like, there's a lot of reasons. But he said, as time went on, and this is where, I, this is the reason I'm bringing it up now, he says because basically because of Dan Aykroyd's dedication to the source material like he's he loves it so much and he's so true to what it was that that's why it works as a comedy because he's so deadpan and so basically kind of like a fish out of water like he's a 50s hard-boiled detective kind of Mm -hmm. in the 80s right or a 60s in the 80s and like it doesn't work which is why it works he's the only one in like he's in his own movie like he's in the version of Dragnet that I'm talking like the direct adaptation which is interesting because Hanks is set up as the straight man but Aykroyd is like like they're both straight it's really it's really weird it's I love the dynamic between well they're both straight men but they both play as also the comic relief in relation to the other ones right like it's just like because they don't know how to coexist in the same world the buddy cop Right. Um, and again, I wrote down, you know, it's not really good cop, bad cop. It's like by the rules cop versus, you know, playing by nobody's rules cop, right? Like it's, they're not necessarily doing the old fashioned good cop, bad cop, but they're like one's nice and one's mean. It's mm-hmm. like one is literally by the book, quoting the book. And yeah. the other is just, I'm going to do this however I need to get it done because I was undercover as sort of like a hippie, you know, in the impound lot or whatever. And I don't really quite know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I almost saw it as a pretty interesting sort of look at the clash of generations, right? Like, Aykroyd is, you know, right out of the 50s, you know, with all that original Joe Friday sort of, like you said, like super by the book follows the rules. And then Hanks is the more modern cop, right? It's like how things kind of were turning that day where there's like cutting corners maybe or just like not calling it in and trying to just follow your own leads. And and it feels almost more like those movies that were being made more like uh, Beverly Hills Cop at the time where, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to go against the system even though you're a part of it because the system is part of the problem. Like in this movie, right? Like the Mm -hmm. police commissioner is in on it. They're all pagans, yeah. Yeah, they're all part of people against goodness and normalcy. Yep. 
And then Mike says that watching Hanks' half-assed punk rocker Pep Strebeck is great against type part. He has the facade, but the way he barely keeps up with Aykroyd's dan- deadpan delivery, or deadpan exposition, seals the chemistry. And I think that works. And I think, you know, between that and between, you know, what we were saying before about, you know, Aykroyd as the by-the-book cop and sort of the old guy, my favorite moment, if we're going to jump ahead to this for a second, my favorite moment of this movie is when it switches. When Aykroyd gets captured, and then all movie long, it's been Aykroyd as his by-the-book cop. Like, it's, it's his movie. Like, it's firmly his movie. Hanks is firmly, like, the second guy. Like, he's the, the you know, the, the co-captain or whatever, the, the, the co-star. Like, this is Dan Aykroyd's vehicle. And all movie long, he's been doing the narration, he's been driving the narrative, and then he gets captured with the virgin that they save, and we'll get to that. But then the narrative, the voiceover, switches to Hanks. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, this, I was not expecting. Like, this now becomes Hanks' movie, for, I mean, at least for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. But he's kind of playing the role that Aykroyd was, but he's also doing it how he is. Like, we cut to him in bed having sex with that lady cop that he had met and he had been, you know, sleeping with. And he's doing this, like, sort of hard-boiled detective dialogue, but, like, next to a hamburger phone. It's like this sort of, you know, it's his version of the hard-boiled detective. And then from then on, he's sort of, he's the driving force. He's the one who solves the crime. He's the one who has to save and bust out Aykroyd after he gets captured. And I like, like, that's my favorite part where, like, the movie was already kind of weird and meta and, you know, Mm -hmm. making fun of itself in a way by playing it so straight they were having fun with it. But then when it flipped and it became another version of that, like, that's what really, that was my favorite part of it because it was like, it was sort of a hat on a hat. Like, you thought it was already this one thing. Well, it's going to take that one thing that you thought it was and it's going to twist even further. Yeah. And that scene, you know, it's funny because it starts out as him narrating, like, his day-to-day thing. But then when he gets to the station, he actually snaps at one point and becomes Joe Friday when he tells the guy to, like, clean up and get the jelly donut off his face and respect the badge and he has to like slap himself to knock himself out of it to like wake himself up and stuff I love that like he, he yells at the guy and then he's just like what is going like I don't know like, who was that yeah and it's like he's rubbed off on him that's great and and I mean this movie is so weird in that way like I watched it with roommate and she was like oh it's got kind of like stripes in a way where like halfway through it becomes like a different movie like in this movie like they're on a case and then they get kicked off the case and then they like go out and have dinner together and like he meets his grandmother and mm-hmm. she and he's on the date with Connie you know the story keeps progressing like she IDs the pagan leader at dinner and everything but it's just so nice how like it's willing to keep going and changing that like having Joe get kidnapped and having it turn into uh, Hanks's movie you know basically for most of the third act there it's just really interesting how how it's written like the structure of this movie and like the downtime is really interesting and funny when it comes around and stuff I feel like it's just it's just a little different than stuff we not just get nowadays but even back then it just sort of feels like its own thing right I think another thing that's sort of weird and kind of cool I guess about this is that it sort of feels and I, I don't think this is how it would have been back in the 80s but this kind of feels like it would be like a through line of say four or five episodes like an arc of a TV show of a cop show today that it's like sort of a series of like the, the through line I guess kind of what Justified did in its early seasons when like it would have standalone episodes but then as the season went on it would sort of start layering in stories about the big bad the big villain of the of the season right and I feel like the way that this is sort of told or structured or maybe it's just because of the way that I watched like I had stopping and starting like I was I, I did not watch this in the best way and I apologize to the movie for that I'm sorry Dragnet but I did watch the entire thing and I enjoyed it but I feel like it 
it's kind of like different things like you know like the dinner scene or like this scene or like that scene or whatever it kind of feels like a scene from an episode or two that's sort of strung together and like this is kind of the, the combination of all that story to tell the one story because it feels like this is sort of like a single episode of tv or maybe a double episode or whatever but it kind of feels like there's a just a lot like jumping here jumping there you know accurate sort of following hunches and it feels kind of like a a longer arc than maybe just like two episodes of tv if that makes sense yeah that's sort of putting this movie into perspective i never tried to approach it from in like 30 years and it's like if this could work without the jokes like it's got all like the detective work like they're going to all the different leads they're they're going to like the zoo the landlady you know the um the playboy mansion like they're going all over town they're going undercover to the rally they're like you know and then there's also like the underlying crime that's going on with the reverend who's in league with the police commissioner to kill the city officials and take over los angeles and like basically like turn it into a a den of sin right Uh, and it's gonna they're just gonna profit off of the people and run the whole place into the ground like that's some like chinatown shit like it's so weird that there's into the backbone of this there's like an actually like interesting sort of crime that they have to solve it also feels like in that way i think kind of like kiss kiss bang bang which is another sort of you know all over the place like sort of seems kind and sort of bubbly and christmasy and pleasant on top and you're like oh wait no like there's like there's shit going on and i feel like it's that kind of in a sense hard-boiled detective story framed with humor that gives you something that you haven't really seen before and i like that i like that element of it you know what i mean yeah yeah me too is your favorite moment the end where hanks becomes like the sort of the the real cop or is there a different part of this that you like more it's so tough like i mean i I understand like this not the like like do you love this movie is this your favorite hanks movie so far well this i was just gonna say like it's not like this movie's like incredible right i like i'm willing to admit i i think it's like a wistful thinking kind of thing right where it's just like i hit it at the right age and i know it so well it's probably like mike flynn i caught it at the right time and it like bore its way into me so i really Mm -hmm. i really do like it a lot um um, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it's definitely hard to find a favorite moment. However, the hardest I laughed at this time is when he first meets Hanks, when they first meet each other as partners. And, you know, like you said, Hanks is like this undercover hippie guy. You know, he's definitely looks like he's, uh, what, straight out of True Detective. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Aykroyd sort of reading him the riot act. He's like, uh, I'm not, I'm your new partner. He's like, not just like that, you're not. He's like, my new 10. partner. 10.2, 10.5, 10.6, yeah. 10.8, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's a clean haircut, like polished shoes, all this stuff. Stuff, and it just cuts directly to like a shot of Hanks all uh, cleaned up, like yep. dressed just exactly like he was told to. But and I think all the time that passed was like 30 minutes or something. So like it happened like immediately. And I don't know. Just that moment just had me uh, had me laughing really hard this time. I was laughing a lot this movie. There was one little little moment. I think it just I think a lot of the humor in this, and I think it's it's designed this way, is to is to come from Dan Aykroyd's commitment as the character to that sort of hard boiled detective thing, but. Like, when they go to the strip club, and then, you know, Hanks is into it, but then Dan Aykroyd's just drinking a cup of coffee or whatever, and there's just a, a stripper who, like, bends over and looks at him between her legs, and he just goes, ma'am? Just like like that, like, just, like, little things like that. Like, I think a lot of the time, like, I enjoy what he's doing, but I think it's, like, it's moments like that where it's him in a different kind of scenario that really makes it funny. Like, I really, that really clicks for me. It's funny, like, um, I, when I, I was watching this, I was, I was talking to the roommate about how, like, they don't like each other or like they're not familiar they're strangers right they're partners thrown together but just through the 
detective work they're doing and the like maniacs that they have to talk to and meet, they're starting to sort of rub off on each other and appreciate each other and like bond over it. And so that by the end of the movie, I feel like they're actually friends. Like I buy that relationship. Like that's another thing about this movie that I thought was interesting is like they actually feels like they're growing, uh, like learning from each other. And at the end, you know, Joe isn't so stuck up and Strebeck isn't so loosey goosey anymore. They've actually sort of centered each other a little bit or something like that. And yeah, I just thought that just added a, a cool extra level to it. And and oh, one more thing too that I just that also reminded me what you were saying. There's like a lot of like running gags in this movie. Did you pick up on on any? I'll sort of go down. I just have like a mini list. But, yeah, go for um, it. They point together a lot at a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. The I'll drive. You know, they always say, like, I'll drive or I'll drive or something like that. That always comes up a lot. Uh, So I think there's a lot of that in television, too. And so maybe that's another thing that, like, you were saying earlier, where it feels a little bit like a couple episodes of something. There's, like, just this great connective tissue, like, running throughout, even though structurally it's not necessarily traditional, but, like all these things are tying it together. You know, one thing is that it's not, it's not exact. I just want to, I want to make sure that we address this fact before we go any further. I like that the guy from the Phantom Zone from Superman 1 and 2 is here. Oh, yeah. He's so menacing <laughs> as, a, as a limo driver, as a mule mutts. And I love, I think it's not quite a running joke the way that you, you were, but it, it comes back a couple times where Hanks threatens to slam his balls in that drawer. And oh, yeah, then, you know, yeah. Ackroyd comes back in the, co- in the in the interrogation room and he opens the drawer. And then we see, we cut to this guy who's like terrifying, who literally in this movie flips a car with Dan Aykroyd and his, his new girlfriend upside down. Like he picks it up by the fender and flips it 180 degrees, just opening the drawer. Like you can see the cut to the guy's face. He just looks terrified. And I love that he's so good in this movie, both as like that vulnerable kind of guy, but also just like a menacing badass. I'm sure I've seen him in other things, but I was like, why do I know him? I was like, oh, right, yeah, because he's in Superman. So, or Superman 2, specifically, more so. But yeah, like, I think I think he's great in this movie. I think that guy is on an episode of How Did This Get Made? That's a great episode and wrote a book. Yes, yeah. And he, I think they did a bonus episode where he talks, like, he talks a lot of shit about Richard Lester, I think. Oh, 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 well. Sorry, Soderbergh. I think maybe maybe not. I think there's something like he's got he's got he's got beef to, to pick with people. He wrote a book from what he said like he grew up in the, like the mafia like kind of kind of stuff like a, a child of that world and everything. So very uh, interesting dude. But yeah, I love his presence. I love when Hanks is supposed to be him and he's like I've been sick, you know, <laughs> like because he clearly weighs like you know eighty pounds less than the dude and is like three or four good inches shorter than him. <laughs> do you have a least favorite moment? I'm trying to think of what mine might be. I, I don't know if I have one right now, but do you have a least favorite moment in this movie? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like, uh, there's definitely a couple. I guess what's kind of weird, I mean, maybe it's not that strange because it come, you come to find out, like, this pagan cult, they're like these, they're like, doing some kind of like cult ritual like it seems as if they're trying to summon a demon like this feels very Aykroyd inspired like Ghostbustery kind of mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. like we have to sacrifice a virgin and you know I don't I don't know that nowadays that just kind of like hit me I was like it's weird that they're calling her like the virgin Connie Swell and like virgin this and virgin that I agree although I do think that like politically correct or not whatever I don't I don't have a, you know, I, I don't know if I can comment on that but it pays off at the end when where Dan Aykroyd says, I spent a night with Connie Swell, and Tom Hanks says, don't you mean the virgin Connie Swell? And he just, like, makes that look. And mm-hmm. then Tom Hanks, like, takes a second to be like, oh, and he's like, oh! And, like, he makes a face, and it's just like, I think whether or not that's the right thing to say and whether or not that's, you know, the right way to write a, a female character, that joke, I think, kind of made it worth it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt 
yeah, like this is a lot better than a lot of the raunchy '80s comedies oh, out yeah. there. Like even even though like we get the Dabney Coleman stuff as you know Hugh Hefner and all of that kind of bait magazine stuff and like that whole through line, but I feel like again that at least services the story, you know, because it's all about how like the false religious dude is in league with and lying to the smut peddler and everything. Like I don't know, I just that worked better for the story in a way. Maybe even just like the whole like cult sacrifice thing was just like it came it just feels like so far out of left field at a point like I'm cool with it being you know with like uh, secret society and all that kind of stuff but it was just a little odd watching it this time being like really like this huge snake and the lion's mane the girl and everything it was just yeah not that it's like the worst but I'm you know I'm struggling to find something yeah, and, like, I don't know if I have one either, and it's not because I love this movie. Like, I think, you know, we've said that, but just, like, there's mm-hmm. nothing, like, this movie is so specifically consistent from start to finish that, like, it's hard to find a moment that just doesn't, that sort of stands out as negative. You know, I like, you know, you mentioned the the, the shaving the lion's mane. I like that there's, you know, they're talking, like, there's got the, the lion with the, the mohawk, basically, and, you know, Hank says to the kids, like, kids, it'll grow back, and they're like, yeah! Like, just, like, dumb little things like that, like, I really, really liked. The one thing that I do like, and I think that, you know, for a movie that's basically, a, like, not about Playboy Playmates, but one of the, or the equivalent, the bait models, that one of the things that the pagan group does is right before the 25th anniversary, like, this special double issue, this, like, monumentous thing, they go to the publisher, they steal a bunch of the magazines, they burn the rest, they want to basically, it seems like, take smut out of the world, that's part of the thing, or whatever. One through line that I really, really thought was funny, both because it gave a weird kind of dimension to the characters that they otherwise I don't think would get, but also because it just said a lot about Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks knew his character, you know, he knew everything about every bait model. He knew their names, he knew their like their turn-ons, their turn-offs, but like weirdly Considering the fact that they're just supposed to be on screen as, like, eye candy, right? Like, they're all there in bikinis, they're all there just, like, to look gorgeous. The fact that he was able to, like, and again, this sounds dumb, I think, but I do think that there's merit to it. The fact that they all had names, that they all had things, like, they were, like, not quite three-dimensional people, but, like, more than just eye candy. That they all had, like, personalities and yeah. interests and likes and dislikes. Like, the fact that they each, even if they didn't speak, I feel like the fact that they were each more than just looks was kind of refreshing in a way. And it was this weird, I was like, oh, like, it was funny and then I was like wait there's actually something here I think like there's actually something that feels like new and kind of unique and in a weird way empowering well it's funny I got sort of the same vibe to a degree off of all the lady cops in the movie you know like a the fact that there's like I, I think he I think Hanks's dates like two or three different ones like granted he's dating them and sleeping with them okay I get it and most of them don't have lines and the one that does have a line it says am I gonna see you again and he goes well you have to i'm wearing your underwear yeah you know that it turns out to be like a joke and everything okay but you know at least i was like well at least you know we're seeing women as cops in a dragnet movie like i thought that was was pretty cool too and yeah and i i you know i agree with what you're saying about the playmates as well like they could have it didn't feel like that was the punchline i felt like the punchline was that uh like what uh Ackroyd says to hanks where he's like you know everybody they should transfer you to missing persons and it's like yeah like he's a cop he would retain this kind of information he you know he's good at remembering this kind yeah. of like minute yeah. details about things like it co- kind of comes back later where he just yeah i don't know i just it was cool because it built the story as well if i have to pick something that's my least favorite moment and I think this is intentionally this way because it gives the character growth in a way but I don't like that we don't know much about his history it 
feels like, I don't know if it's true or not, that when it's the Virgin Connie Swale, like, you know, maybe he was a virgin too, like, we're not sure. Like, I like that it motivates him to do something, right? Like, this affection from this woman gives him purpose and gives him drive in this movie. Like, I think that that works. But I don't like that he's so one-dimensional that, like, the only glimpse of a backstory that we get is that he had a kitten once. Like, I I know it's kind of like a, a sort of a funny joke or whatever, but I feel like for someone that we spend so much time with whose personal growth is so important to the movie, the fact that we don't really know a ton about who he was or where he came from, really, I kind of wish that I wanted to know more about that. I don't know how you do that in this movie, but, you know, I just I just sort of want more of, a little bit more sort of filled in there. I hear you. I think they tried to do it when they introduce his grandma, right? Like, they go out to dinner together, and there's that whole thing, and he's like, it's my grandma, Grandma Monday. But yeah, I mean, they try to squeeze a little of that in. I agree with you. I wish, like, him and Connie had just gone on the date alone, and he had sort of, you know, opened up about himself and his past and his, and his like, you know, I, clearly he idolizes his uncle Joe Friday from the original show. They even have a his picture of the yeah. mm-hmm. actor. And their boss is the guy who played the original partner t- on, on uh, Dragnet. Harry Morgan, I think, right? Yeah. Which also, just real quick, he has, when they call, like, he doesn't believe in the whole movie, and then when they finally call and, like, this is what's going on, his facial reactions when he's on the phone is so good. Like, he goes through every motion. Like, he's, like, angry and then confused and then, like, upset and then, like, vengeful. Like, it's just, like, in, like, three seconds, he does, like, four or five faces. Like, it's great. So that guy, like that. I think he was on MASH also or something. So he's got, you know dramatic and well there were only like seven chops. shows back then like you know if you figure if you're a good <laughs> actor on a couple of them yeah yeah pretty much I think I, I agree though about that about the, like the dinner scene that's just like I didn't know like I know that you have to like run into the mayor and like you sort of need a reason for uh, Christopher Plummer and for Connie the version Connie Swain to be in the same room like I feel like there's there's there needs to be reason why they see it there but it just felt like kind of not lazy but kind of coincidental that they're all there also by the way I love that this is like a tight like an hour 38 without credits without the, the rap song like this is a nice short movie. I don't want another like 20 minutes of like getting people to be a little bit more believable. I like it the length and sort of the the structure that it is, but I also do kind of wish that there was a little bit more methodical or specific storytelling at points. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. They definitely are leaning more towards the jokes. Like every scene feels like it ends with a punchline, and like some of them are just like them getting their car stolen again or something. Like I don't get me wrong. Like it's another running joke in the movie. Is like they're constantly either losing their car, getting it stolen, or it gets exploded, or something happens to it. They finally end up with like a Pinto at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah I was saying before, like it, it could have worked on its own without the comedy, like as a straight drama. So it's it's a little strange that they don't play more into the straight zone. You know what I mean? That they're that it feels almost a little bit like, oh, uh, we we gotta keep reminding them that this is funny when in fact every once in a while I kind of wanted to forget that I was watching a comedy maybe yes I think there's a certain point where maybe it's Kisses Bang Bang or there's other ones where like there are movies that sort of like kind of balance the, the action with the comedy and then the movie gets serious like the plot gets serious and the movie gets serious and I feel like as a viewer you're kind of I'm kind of okay with that because I'm like well what's happening on screen sort of requires fewer jokes like you can't you don't have to be devoid mm-hmm. of jokes but I think you need to kind of balance it better and I kind of wish it got a little bit more 
more serious, but I also do admire its sort of consistency throughout. So a couple little trivia things before we get into our, you know, figuring out if Tom Cruise could play in this or not. There's a couple Hanks connections here. Of course, Donna Dixon is Sonny, Sonny, Sonny from Bosom Buddies, married to Dan Aykroyd in real life, so that's number one. It's awesome. It's not the second time in the last couple of years that he worked with Dabney Coleman, also in The Man with One Red Shoe, so... Oh, yeah. That's the one. I was trying to watch. I was watching the whole movie going, what was the other Dabney movie? Mm-hmm. There is... I don't, I don't know... Mike, I don't know if you caught this, but on IMDb, there's trivia. During the scene where the pagans throw the virgin into the snake pit, a real snake is not used. Rather, a dummy snake was manipulated by the cast and crew. Like, Get out of town. It's the fakest-looking snake. How is this someone that, like... Can you... Oh, wait, guys. I want you to know, when you're watching this movie not a real snake that's a that's a fake snake you know what it reminded me of it's like that scene in Ed Wood when Bella Lugosi has to like move the octopus around by himself because mm-hmm. they forgot to bring the motor to the set they only stole like the one part that's what it kind of feels like Ackroyd wanted Jim Belushi to play the pep role, but he wasn't available, and Albert Brooks was offered the pep role, which is the Hanks role. So Albert Brooks and Jim Belushi. Yeah, I could see Albert Brooks as Joe Friday. That would be he's mm. that mm-hmm. would be funny as hell. The house, Connie Swale's house, which is the one that he pulls up and say it's the Nightmare on Elm Street house that he's like terrified. That's also the same house used in the Burbs. That's Tom Hanks' house in the Burbs. And also apparently later in Desperate Housewives, one of the characters on that used it as well. So like it's a sort of a famous movie and TV house. But the only other trivia that I have is that the guy who shot this movie, Matthew F. Leonetti, cinematographer, did Fast Times and also Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, we hungry. Which is a weird kind of diversity between Fast Times and this <laughs> and Too Fast, Too Furious. But it's got Fast in the title. Two of the movies have oh, Fast boy. in the title. <laughs> Fastnet. Drag Fast. Could Tom Cruise hmm. have played the role of Pep, Colin Pep, that's where that's where it all comes from, first names, Pep Strebeck. Could Tom Cruise have played this role, or if not, where would he have played you know, we've mentioned this a couple times, like, where where are the mid-80 Tom Cruise comedies? It just, they just never happen. He just, they never, that's the one thing, it seems, it's not that he's not funny, like, he's funny in his movies, like, he's very charming, like, there's situations he gets into where his character is very hilarious at times, you know, whether it be Risky Business or Color of Money, but, you know, I don't know if he, I mean, it's probably, but it's, it's hard to say because we don't have any, like, baseline, really, like, he hasn't done any these comedies i'll tell you though i think he would have also made a great joe friday he could have brought all of his like serious dramatic chops and stuff like you know whatever christopher Plummer's holding on to while he's going through this stuff too just because i just think of him as like especially in this movie as like what's he doing here he's so like official i've never seen him in a comedy but like it would have been really funny to see tom cruise be joe friday and just be that no nonsense kind of like almost like ethan hunt just being like really in his face and all that so i don't i don't necessarily think that he would have been a good pep in my mind but uh i think he would have fit somewhere in this movie you know i think a role that he could have played and i don't know that he ever would have back in 1987 especially since he's so young in his career and so all about his looks but i'm, I'm flashing forward to sort of this character in tropic thunder and thinking he could have played the caesar role the hugh hefner type role great call and just like as like a really good looking young guy but in like old man makeup and like not that that would necessarily work but i can see him playing that kind of goofy type of role really well i think yeah i I agree with that. Yeah, he even... That's weird. Like, even back then, if you look at old Hugh Hefner, I could see him, like, 
vaguely passing for what well, old Hugh Hef- young Hugh Hefner is what I meant. But if you look at old pictures of Hugh with like that jet black hair and sort of like he had a very strong jawline and stuff, I feel like maybe Cruz could have could have done that. So now, Mike, we know where Tom Cruise could maybe possibly sort of kind of fit. Where would you fit? Where would you if you had a want to walk on roll as a forty year old man? Yep, almost forty year old man <laughs> into the world of Dragnet. Where would you be? You know, I thought maybe I'd be one of the pagan folks and everything, but there's so many of them. Like, I, I don't know. You couldn't really, which one I was or anything. Maybe if you, like, ripped my, my pagan mask off. But I think what I'm going to go with is uh, I'm going to steal one of their cars. Okay. I'm going to be the guy cool. in the background. Cool. I mean, you're going to see, like, me full body, and I'm just going to, like, get that little Slim Jimmy into the window, pop it open, and take their car. I was just thinking, I was like, I was like, I was like, what movie did we just watch where there, somebody was breaking into their own cars, Always Be My Baby? So I was like, we just saw a movie where somebody was slipping into their own car with, like, a thing. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the obvious sort of, like, enviable spot to be in would probably be somewhere at, you know, the Bait Mansion, if you will. Yeah, but there's literally no there's other no guys. men in that, like, the women are doing, like, the yard work, they're, yep. like, washing their cars, they're playing volleyball, they're just hanging out by the pool. I guess the, the pagan ritual is probably the most fun that you would have, especially, like, chasing after them, right? Like, after, you know, getting in a fight with them, after it's sort of, after they, they rescue the Virgin Connie Swale, you know, they, like, just the battle that sort of ensues, I, I kind of like that a little bit. Dude, you're Right. It is. It's like the end of the Dark Knight Rises. Like there's so many people, so many extras. And it's just like the two of them kicking everyone's ass. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you said you'd be one of the people stealing the car. Maybe I'd be one of the cops who pull them over Uh on the way to the ritual and they're pagans too. You know what I mean? Like there's just, there's little bits, there's little roles here and there that I think are sort of funny, especially around that middle part of the movie, like, you know, about half an hour in where they're finally understanding what the case is and how to sort of handle it and tackle it. I think there's sort of funny things be there so something pagan related for sure like i think i want to be you know in that in that world in that role all right now the next question i don't know that this is i think the answer might be no does tom hanks in this movie do anything that sets him on the road to becoming america's dad hmm well i feel like the answer is no because i feel like that's not what his character is supposed to be in this i want to say yes i always want to say yes yeah you know i do but no i think this guy's a confirmed bachelor to be honest with you, you know, and <laughs> if anything, maybe he'll marry a lady cop and the two of them will just like go on busting crime together. Maybe, oh, that would be a cool movie, like a male and like a married cop couple. Like it doesn't even have to be male and female or whatever, but like, I just think that would be a cool show. I think we just need more married couples and things like I was just reading the news this morning that there's two women on the U.S. women's soccer team that are going to get married after the World Cup's over. And I'm just like, that's cool. Like, I feel like we just need more couples like in things that like where couples don't usually get to work together. Like, can you imagine like playing like, I know that they're not going to be married when this is going on, but, like, playing in the World Cup and, like, your wife or your husband is, like, on the field with you, like, that's so cool. Like, that's such a weird, special, unique thing that I feel like, you know, cop movies or whatever have more couples. It would add such a cool level of, like, drama and tension to the to the game so like imagine if there were two baseball players married on separate teams and they came down to the world series yeah. and it was mm-hmm. like husband versus husband in the world series like that would be so tense html husbands throwing more or less oh. any other thoughts about dragnet before we go to the awards the woodies if we're going to nominate this for some stuff anything else you want to say about dragnet it's a fun watch for sure you know like if you're in a rut i think it'll drag you out of it it's it's fun it's light like um it's got a it's got a cool sort of mystery 
mystery going on there. Uh, it's a you know it's like a real detective story in a in a comedy actually going on that's working. You know I don't I don't know if you're expecting like the show if you've only seen the show and that's what you're expecting like it's not that either you would love it I think or hate it like I don't know. Yeah, I'd really love to read some reviews about it and wonder like what people were saying like what how could they do this to Dragnet? You know what I'm saying like what is this farce of drag like what have they turned Dragnet into like no like I've watched the show I've seen the movie I think it's the kind of thing that it sort of transcends genres like it works because the the core pieces are so strong to begin with the whole character Joe Friday the you know just the facts the theme song the badge just LA you know taking place there it's always about LA yeah I think it's a lot of fun and they should check it out and I still think there's room for you know Michael Mann to make his you know hard-boiled dragnet movie one day if he needed to so I don't you know that I've said I don't know if I said on this podcast but I know that you know that I'm not a huge fan of Rotten Tomatoes but I went on Rotten Tomatoes to see what the critics said about this movie because of what you said you know and sort of inspired me and 34 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes 50% fresh so real split down the middle and the critics consensus which is the one that's written by a Rotten Tomatoes staff writer while it's sporadically funny and certainly well cast Dragnet is too clumsy and inconsistent to honor its classic source material so I feel like this is a thing down the middle where it's like either it clicks and it works for you or you don't know what they're doing and feel like it's not honoring this I I can sort of see either one of those you know what I mean like yeah. Either you get it or you're like, I don't know what's happening and I don't like it. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, because that's what kind of been saying is like it doesn't follow the formula of a comedy. It follows more the formula of like a crime drama, but it's a funny one. <laughs> like, that's the difference. Like, yeah. I don't think you know, like, you're expecting to laugh at this, but you should. So now for the Woodies, I think even though this is one of the better movies so far, I don't want to nominate it for Best Film because I know what's coming. Um, Definitely not Worst Film, definitely not Best of the Worst. I'm going to nominate, though, for the first time in the category, Hmm. Best Hank's Role, Pep Streebeck. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Nice. Yeah, Pep's great. He's so positive and, you know, good at his job, too. Joey, these might be candidates for Best Film Cops, actually. Like, they're really good cops. They're pretty good. They get kicked off here's my criteria if you're so good at being a movie cop that you get kicked off the case halfway through the movie you're a good movie cop and then work your way back on yeah and he even loses his badge and gets it back at the end so I'm I'm down with these guys as like great movie cops (laughs) love it most wasted performance no best ensemble no I just don't think there's enough people best fight I'll say Friday and Pep versus Pagans in Dragnet. And I love when they're at the rally and they have the giant billboard and it's like electronic and he's like, Pagan, people against goodness and normalcy. And fucking Hanks just turns to him and he goes, you put that together all by yourself, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Best dance scene? No? Is there one? No, but no. if you watch the music video for that City of Crime, it's kind of embarrassing how much like oh, they're dancing. I highly stuff. recommend. I wish that that was in the credits. Like you know, like I feel like if if, if it was a modern day movie, they would have had the credits scrolling on one half of the screen. They would have the movie, the, the music video on the other half, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like because it was back then, they just played the audio. But if you go on YouTube, you can find the video. And boy, oh boy! Plus, they have the opening Dragnet theme is like a half of like a scratch remix. It's like Dragnet, oh, yeah. Dragnet, Dragnet. Dra- dra- Dragnet, Dragnet, just the facts, just the facts.
and that's why I thought like that was when, you know when I turned this on I was like I don't know what this is <laughs> like I think I think it's saying like this is Dragnet but it's not what you're expecting like I understand like that but I also like I don't know a what Dragnet is but b what it's going to be I know what it's not going to be and that's like an old timey cop show but I don't know what it actually is going to be and it sort of took me time to sort of get there you mm-hmm. know what I mean if if I'm not mistaken what they did with the show like it, it was on black and white version and then it came back in 69 and it was called like Dragnet 69 and then when that run ended it came back again or, or every year it would be like Dragnet 70 Dragnet 72 and it would have helped if this was like Dragnet 87 like you know yep. and just saying hey same universe but like it's today folks so like get in yeah. that state of mind best party scene I'm going to say the bait mansion and the bait reunion in Dragnet mm-hmm. best hangs outfit wardrobe I'm going to say as undercover cop it reminds me of the way Kip looked oh by the way Kip and Pep ooh sunny 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 the way Kip looked in the flashback in high school when he was like uh, burnout. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. When he goes undercover, he kind of looks like the same. It's kind of like the same sort of look, right? Yeah. Best death? No, he does not die. Best line? Oh man, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It just because of the way he delivers it. Dan Aykroyd says, "Surfs up, Beach Boy, but not for you. You'll be hanging ten downtown." And it's just like one of those like hard-boiled like it kind of makes sense, but also doesn't really kind of make sense. I like when they break into the wholesome milk factory, and like it's not really a favorite line, but you know, Hanks is like he takes off his gas mask, and he's like tasting his lips, and he's just like can't quite taste it. It's it's something like he's like, well, it's milk. I mean, we're we're in a milk factory. Like you saw it before you knocked on the sign. It said wholesome milk. You know what it is. I remember. I think that's the same tank from Die Hard, if I'm not mistaken. Hashtag tank, by the way. Too fast, too forever. They got a tank. Ooh. But yeah, I remember someone back way back in like the '80s was watching this. Maybe I was watching it with my parents. At, at home on VHS and one of them had just seen or they had just seen Die Hard and was like hey it's the same because it's like a flat tank with that long sort of barrier buster sticking out of it right it's got like that thing in the front so I don't know we got to check that tank's IMDB and see what else he was doing that year I hope so I'm going to say I'm going to pull for best line friendships start with first names Joe which I think oh, is a that's uh, very nice kind of nice thing best freak out I'm sure he freaks out but there's nothing wrong thing is, is there a super memorable freak out maybe the one when he goes full Friday on the guy and tells him to like straighten up and okay I'll say going full Friday in Dragnet best soundtrack theme maybe <laughs> it's a city of crime oh yeah also a city of crime okay Oh god, but I don't like that song. It like it doesn't sound good. But I I prefer uh drag that drag that dragnet. Also, okay, so I'll say Dragnet Remix and City of Crime. Best Hanks love story, worst the Hanks love story, no. Most badass role, no. And then best or worst non-Hanks role. I think Dan Aykroyd's good. I also don't know that, you know... Well, actually, we have John Candy Volunteers and Peter Scalaria's Henry and Bosom Buddies. Like, I feel like he's right on par with those. I'm gonna put yeah, him you know, it's funny that you say, like, this is a Dan Aykroyd vehicle, and I could understand that, like, this feels like a property, you know, he developed and his fingerprints are all over it for sure, but Hanks is really going toe-to-toe with Aykroyd and Aykroyd is pretty seasoned at this point SNL and all that kind of thing like he's got a yeah. bigger reputation and you know they're great together they got great chemistry that it feels like they're really like giving to each other you know what I'm saying to, that's a thing from Barry right where it's like wow you gave everything for me I didn't have to do anything it feels like they're yeah. doing this like effortlessly at times like they're really just knocking it back and forth so I would say hell yeah with uh, Aykroyd in this all right do you have any other thoughts about Dragnet before we uh, come back in two weeks for a, a little movie called Big? I'm good. I'm just glad that this isn't like the last 
too that we broke that streak of that serious dramatic oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanks and all that kind of stuff. Like it could have, you know, I'm just so happy that uh, I feel like we're out of a rut, even though it's only one movie out of a rut. But you know, we're clawing our way out. Well, we're only half of the movies away from the beginning of that streak of the unbeatable streak. But you know, Dragnet and Big next week, I think we're we're on the upswing for sure. Again, punchline TBD in two episodes, but we will get there when we get there. But for all things Hanks for the memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. We have a Patreon page. We have a Threadless shop. Find the links to those at cageclub.me. Check out Cruise Club every other Friday, alternating with this. Next week, we've got Far and Away, the second Cruise Kidman movie. And then come back, like I said, in two weeks for Big. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you in two weeks for Big, right here on Hanks for the Memories. Kids, it'll grow back. Yeah!